0: Hey, writers, join our first draft weekly Writers Club. We meet every Tuesday from 12 to 1 Eastern Time. For more information, go to writingclassradio.com and click on the Classes tab. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. Again. This is Writing Class Radio. You'll hear true personal stories and learn a little bit about how to write your own stories. Together, we produce this podcast, which is equal parts heart and art. By heart, we mean the truth in a story. By art, we mean the craft of writing. No matter what's going on in our lives, writing class is where we tell the truth. It's where we work out our she There's no place in the world like writing class, and we want to bring you in. This episode is about using a character to
1: express the voice of reason. Okay, so often in a story the narrator is in a bind and can't see clearly. In this story, in the one we bring you today, the narrator's wife says something. And when she says that thing, the narrator opens his mind to a different point of view. Today's story is by listener Nicholas Garnett. Nick is an adjunct professor of creative writing at Florida International University and Miami Book Fair International. He's also the editor of the journal Sliver of Stone. His writing has appeared in Salon.com, the Florida Book Review, and other places like Best Sex Writing of 2013. Most importantly, Nick is the co-producer of Lip Service, which is a Knight Foundation award-winning live storytelling show in Miami. I produced Lip Service for nine years, and Nick was my co-producer for a few of those years. He's such a nice guy and a great writer and editor. So nice that I married him.
0: Ha, ha, ha. (laughs) You married him, like you performed his wedding. All right, you already know that. Yeah, okay. All right, let's get to Nick's story. Here's Nick Garnett.
2: In the summer of 1982, when I was 24 years old, My mother returned home from a summer vacation to Greece. She asked me to come over to her place. There was something important she needed to tell me. When I got there, she showed me a snapshot she'd taken while she was in Athens. It was a close-up of a smiling, bearded man in his 50s. He looked like me around the eyes. She said, his name is Elias, and he's your father. Until then, when it came to the identity of my biological father, my mother and I had our own version of don't ask, don't tell. I'd always assumed my mother's first husband, whom she divorced just before I was born, was my biological father. As far as I was concerned, just getting somebody pregnant didn't make you a father any more than liking to eat made you a chef. My mother married my stepfather when I was four. Even though they had divorced when I was 12, my stepfather was the only father I could remember and all the father I needed. My mother said, it happened the summer of 1957. I met him on vacation in Greece, and that's the last time I saw him. I asked her, did he know about me? She shook her head, not a thing. I asked my mother how she found him. She had learned that Elias owned a chain of clothing stores in Athens. One afternoon, she walked through the door of one of his shops. And there he was, standing behind the counter. Over coffee, they caught up on the previous 25 years. Elias told my mother he was married and had a daughter. My mother handed him a picture of me. She said, you've got a son, too. She told me he seemed more flustered than shocked. My mother handed me a plastic bag containing a few polo-style shirts. She said, he wanted you to have these. I sat there with a snapshot in one hand and a bag of shirts in the other. I said, why did you do this now? She said, we're not getting any younger. What if something happened to him? I said, so now what? She said, that's up to the two of you. I told myself that the news didn't really matter. I already had a dad, and I'd gotten this far in my life without Elias. Now that he knew about me, I'd let him make the first move. But as the months dragged on, I didn't receive a phone call or a letter. It began to matter. How could somebody find out they had a son and not reach out? The shirts he'd sent me came apart at the seams after a couple of wears. I took that as a sign. I thought about having the picture my mother gave me of Elias printed on the back of the shirts, along with the caption, This guy knocked up my mother, and all I got out of it was this crappy shirt. And for the first time, I resented my mother, too. Not for keeping the secret all these years, but for having revealed it. Before, the story of my life had felt complete. All of a sudden, it felt as though it was missing a main character. Two years later, I went to Greece on my own summer vacation. I had a plan. In my wallet, I carried a slip of paper my mother gave me with Elias's phone number and the address of his shop. I would show up the next day at his store the way my mother had. But then, the next day would come and I would find a reason not to do it. Finally, I ran out of vacation and excuses. The truth was, I was scared. How might his wife and family react when they learned I existed? What if he hadn't contacted me because he didn't want anything to do with me? What would it feel like to be rejected like that? When I returned home, I called my mother. She asked me, what happened? Nothing, I said. There was silence on the line. Finally, she said, And you're okay with that? I thought for a second. Yeah, I said. And for the next 25 years, I was okay. Elias faded away to an abstraction, a minor character in the story of my life who had long ago become irrelevant. And then, just after my mother was diagnosed with cancer, she sent me a letter. in it she told me everything about that summer of 1957 how she had been in greece visiting friends and relatives and escaping an unhappy marriage how handsome and romantic elias had been how he had taken her to the archaeological sites by day and the tavernas by night how he danced on the tables and played the guitar and sang love songs to her when that summer was over and my mother returned home The romance had ended, and so had her marriage. Nine months later, I began. She had often wondered how her life, our lives, might have turned out had she ended up with Elias. She ended the letter by saying, I have my regrets, but there are two things I've never regretted for one second, the summer of 1957 and you. A few months later, my mother was gone and, for all I knew, so was Elias. Just as my mother wondered how Elias might have changed the course of her life, I began to wonder how mine might have changed had I been brave enough to walk through the door of Elias' shop 25 years earlier. Soon after I began dating my wife, Denise, I told her the story about my mother and Elias i expected her to react as other women had when i told them all misty-eyed and dreamy as if i was recounting the plot of a romantic novel instead denise who grew up in the projects in the bronx and is a thousand times braver and tougher than i'll ever be asked me so do you have a love child out there somewhere i was indignant No, I didn't have a love child, and if I did, I sure as hell wouldn't pretend he didn't exist the way Elias had. But then I started thinking. I was about the same age that Elias was when he found out about me. What would I do if some ex-girlfriend showed up at my job with a picture of a young man she said was my son? Would I reach out to him, or would I fear that he might resent me? that he might reject me. Maybe I was more like Elias than I wanted to admit. This year, Denise and I are planning a trip to Greece. I want to find Elias, but not because I need him to fill in a part of me that's missing. These days, the story of my life feels fully cast. I'm not looking for a father. I'm looking for a chance to sit down with an old man who looks like me around the eyes and talk about the one thing we have in common. A beautiful woman he met during that beautiful summer of 1957. A summer spent at the archeological sites by day and the tavernas by night, dancing on tables and singing love songs to a woman who would never forget or regret one minute of it or him or me.
0: We'll be back to talk about Nick's story after the break. We're back. This is Allison Langer, and you're listening to Writing Class Radio. You just heard a story by listener Nick Garnett, where in one conversation with his wife, his entire perspective changed. I love Denise in this story.
1: You know, it's like so often the people that are close to us agree with everything we say or feel. And, you know, <laughs> like in life, that's kind of nice, But it also could be kind of problematic. But in this case, instead of agreeing with Nick, like Denise wasn't like, oh baby, that's so sad. She was like, hold on a second. Do you have a love child? And then Nick was like, what? Wait a second. If I found out that I had a kid right now at this age, and in this point in the story, I think Nick was like, Probably, he said that he was the same age that um, that his bio dad was when he found out that he had a bio dad. But so Nick was like, would I reach out to a kid if I found out right now that I had a kid? Probably
0: not. It's tough. Um, you know, it got me thinking too. Um, but the point of the story and I, I, what I love so much is that... Um, we see the narrator change like in the beginning he's blaming he's blaming you know he's sad this he's sad that he kind of goes there he doesn't follow through like and it's hard to understand cuz we're not in his situation but when asked that one question what would you do it's really hard to know i mean you uproot your whole life it, is it, are people willing to do that it's the unknown and um yeah i thought it was it was that part was really really amazing and that that made the story for me actually
1: I know, because he was, um, you were mad at him. You were like, knock on the door, go to the store. And um, and we didn't, yeah, like he, yeah. So like, we were like, I don't know, not rooting for, rooting for him, but rooting for him to do
0: something else. Yeah, well, I think it's hard because, you know, to be rejected by your dad, like a a biological parent, the thought of that is probably paralyzing. I don't know because that's not happening to me. So the point of this whole thing, the point of storytelling is to really listen to what is going on in somebody else's world and try to understand, not to say, even to compare yourself to them in the end. the, the, The point is just to try to understand what somebody else was going through instead of judging. And I was pretty judgmental. I was like, what the fuck is wrong? Like, just knock on the damn door. What's going on here? You can't leave without finding out. But um, you know, that's, th- I don't know what I would have done. But let's talk about the writing for a second. Um, I, I mean, we we're talking about the voice of reason in this episode. So that is why we're really picking the story itself apart. We don't usually do so much of that. Um, but it is part of the writing in this
1: case, because Nick used another character. I mean, it, it is what happened in life. But he he didn't need to bring her, well, he needed to bring her in in this case, but he could, well, he didn't have to. Nick could have just been like, and then I got this, and then I my thought changed. Of course, he artfully showed us how that thought changed. But I wanted to say this for a second about why I love the story, because it shows how stuck in our own heads we can be. Like how we can live for years and years and years with something No, thinking something is true for so long that might not be true. And that's what this story revealed. It's well done. It was in that moment that Nick understood his biological dad. And then in that moment, Nick took responsibility for his own actions. Like instead of blaming his dad for rejecting him the whole time, he was like, wait, I would have done the same thing. And so he learned something in that moment that he was probably like his dad. So we talk about this all the time in writing class. Like, people love to rant and rage against a a person who's hurt them. And in a way, that's what Nick did throughout the story until he's like, what? I played a role in this too. And that's what I love so much about um, stories about personal psychology. It's like turning the camera around and looking directly at the self. And Nick did that. Okay, so... um, I, I do think that, that using um, Denise as that character was, is part of the writing. Like He brought her in to show that moment of change. It wasn't like he was just lying in bed and then thought, wait, maybe I'm like my dad, my bio dad too. So that was part of it. That, it even though we are commenting on his life, we're also commenting on his writing.
0: I also think he did re- a really great job of grounding us. I mean, it's really hard to tell a story over the span of such a long period of time. And he brought us back in, Would you know, was pretty good about telling us how old he was at each phase of this story, don't you think?
1: Yeah, I do. It spans an awful lot of time. And it is hard to tell a story that goes from, like, um, 25-year-old kid Nick as a 25-year-old to Nick at 50 to Nick... I mean, I think it even moved forward till now. We don't know how old he is now, but it spans many years. Another reason why I really thought this story was beautiful. This story gives me chills. I originally heard this story out loud at lip service. And when I heard it, I was like, oh, I want to bring this onto the show.
0: Yay, I'm so glad you did. Thank you, Nick, for sharing your story. Um, and thank you all for listening. Writing Class Radio is produced by Virginia Laura, Andrea Askwitz, and me, Allison Langer. Social media content is by Arielle Henley and Coming Mia Pennycamp. The Theme music by Emia. Additional music by Ari Herstand and Pottington Bear. There's more writing class on our website, writingclassradio.com, including video classes, stories to study, and editing resources. If you love this show and enjoy all the extras on our website, hit the support us button. And check out the writing classes and publishing insight we are giving our Patreon supporters. a month gets you an all-access pass to Andrea's publishing, conversations, discussions, questions, everything.
1: The best thing that we have to offer is for $25, you can take a class a week with Allison. The class is 12 to 1 Eastern via Zoom it's community it's connection it's writing
0: yeah it's fun we just write to a prompt for 30 minutes and then at least three people get to share what they wrote and get some feedback it's it is really fun it's a great group right now there's about 25 people so it's it's awesome um okay a new episode will drop the first wednesday of the month so look for us there's no better way to understand ourselves and each other than by writing and sharing our stories Everyone has a story. What's yours?
1: We you smile.
0: Yeah, we talked like you were... Hold on a second. Uh, Vicky's
1: vacuuming. Hold on. Honey, will you hold on a second? I'm recording. Vicky! V- Vicky! Honey, stop. I'm recording. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh my god. I'm sorry. Yeah, she went crazy. Okay.